it was on, was it Friday, John, found out that Keith, um, Keith wasn't going to be able to make it? Yeah. So, um, can I say before we, um, thank you to the guys doing tech. Oh, yeah. Thank you to everybody out because we've had a mayor this morning. You know those, one of those mornings where everything goes wrong? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd all left for a minute. I thought it'd go even worse. Yeah. So, well done, Andrew, because the whole, sound, the whole uh, song system decided to uninstall itself. So, words have been a blessing this morning because you wouldn't have had any. So, thank you for that. Uh, team have done a great job. But we are, um, we've been in 1 Peter and um, uh, just aware that there was a verse that stood out when I was looking at it this week that we've not spoken into. Um, and we, we just sensed that God wanted to do some ministry. And there was a verse that just, as we shared, uh, and Ian and I were having a brief chat, I said, this verse, I think there's something in it for this morning. And so um, we have no notes at all, which actually for what God might do in this verse is an interesting one for me, because <laughs> I never <laughs> preach without notes. I like, I like to know where I'm going. Whereas me, on the other hand, flag it every time. So he's in his comfort zone, and I'm way out of my comfort zone. So um, we're going to see what happens. But this is, this is the scripture, and it's 1 Peter 2, verse 6. And it says, see, and it's, it's Peter's quoting Isaiah. And he says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So we'll finish there and we'll yeah, close. Thank in you. Prayer. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs> Ian. John. <laughs> um, it's interesting because we've got, to, we've got to take this in the context that it was originally sent. Um, yeah. Um, and so the reference to Israel, there's reference to Israel, God's people, the promise to come, stone. Uh, I'm not a, no Hebrew scholar, but I'm, I did some reading this morning in mm. advance of this. Uh, <laughs> That, uh, You've done prep. Well, it just it, it so the Hebrew word it 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 comes it, it actually means the stone. Uh, sorry, stone and sun is yeah. actually a root in in yeah. There. And um, and so the this sense of it's not just a physical stone because Israel was talking about you know they would have been talking about a building yeah temple, temple and um, and the building of that and then there would be a, a cornerstone which would basically hold it all together. Mm. Um, so what, the, what Peter's trying to do is point, point back or point to Jesus in reference to the, the, the temple and this new temple then that's being built. And so it's not just about a physical stone. That, and in fact, it's not even about a physical stone. It's about the son who is the cornerstone. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is crucially important for us to understand that Peter was also writing to Gentiles. So if, you ever, if you've ever read this and gone, what on earth do you want about, Peter? Yeah. Um, you're in good company. Because the Gentile reading, re- reading this would go, what are you on about, Peter? So he's having to try and build some understanding of the story because it's not in isolation. So this, this uh, is set within the purposes of God, with God's purpose for a new people, but doesn't disclude Jews. Yeah. Which is really, which is really, really crucial because it's about the grafting in of Gentiles and Jews to this one new people. Yeah. Um, of which Christ is the one who holds it all together. Yeah. 
Christ is that cornerstone. I love that, that um, yeah, the Hebrew for stone and, and is, is Ben, isn't it? Or Eben. Yeah, Eben. And yeah. then a son yeah. is Ben. Yeah. And so actually the play on words here is that it's, it's the son is the cornerstone. And if you jump to Psalm 118, verse 22, there is this little story in a whole verse of some people that were building a temple. And they're building a temple and this stone that they've looked on is the wrong shape, it's the wrong size, doesn't fit. And so they cast it to a side and they say, oh, that's no good for the building of this temple. So we'll chuck it over there on the pile of rocks that had no purpose. But then when they realize that they've been building this temple and they actually then realize, my, my translation says cornerstone, other translations say capstone. Um, so they, they, they got to this point where they've built this temple and they suddenly realize there's one stone missing and it's the most important stone of the whole thing. It's the thing that will finish the whole temple off. It's the most important stone of the whole thing. And then they realize the one that they've thrown on the pile over there actually is the perfect fit and completes the whole thing. And that's the cornerstone. And it's the stone. It's the sun. It's Jesus. And so actually, um, we can end up living our lives of being good people. How many times have you heard people say, I'm just a good person. It's fine. God loves me. I'm a good person. But if we try and live our life without Jesus, no matter how good you are, if we try and build the temple without the cornerstone, it's incomplete. And so actually, as a church, as a people, as individuals, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the, very, uh, he's the thing that is the central, most important thing of it all. And not just individually our lives, but the story of humanity and history. Jesus is the focus, the point, the linchpin, the crux. He is everything. And that's what this scripture is about. It's about the fact that Jesus is the most important thing in the whole of this story. He's the cornerstone. It's interesting because actually um, Jesus quotes this in Mark, Mark yeah. 12. And, um, and so Jesus at this point is, is you know, obviously his uh, ministry is ramping up a little bit. He's gaining a little bit of attention. Um, but he's also always in, he's in conflict um, with the religious leaders who are trying to build something, but the one that really perfects it and brings it all together, they're rejecting. And, yeah. and so this, this idea of it's God, God lo- God's desire is to dwell with his people and to, and to unite, uh, unite, isn't it, and hold, holds it all together. And yet we have here these people, these religious leaders who should have known better, yeah. rejecting the one who really will hold it all together. It's interesting. It is. We, can we move on to that other little bit? I know. I know I, I'm a bit nervous about moving on to that other little bit. I've got to be. No, you can't. Yeah, no, it's fine. Because it's interesting that Jesus is the very center of it all, Peter says. But the reason he's the center of it all, and this, I, I'm going to be really honest here. This is a very much, a, this is not a completed sermon in any way, shape, or form. This is something that God has been doing in my life recently. And so this is, um, this is something that is very, I mean, I sound like a, proper preacher when you say this is something very active and living in my life right now and God's doing some stuff Um, but the verse says see I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and honored cornerstone and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame the one who believes in him will never be put to shame see I wonder if those um, Pharisees were living in a reaction to shame and so we can pretend to be moral, can't we? We can pretend to be good people to prove that we're all okay when actually at the root of it all, we're living out of the reaction of knowing that we're not okay. See, something I've learned recently is 
what actual shame actually is. See, shame is where guilt says I've done something wrong, shame says I am somebody wrong. And we live out a reaction to shame. And we do everything we can to prove that we're enough. And I'm, I'm got all this, I've got all the scripture references and everything in this. So bear with me because I'm journeying with some stuff. But shame is at the very start of the story, isn't it? Do you remember, do you remember Eden? Adam and Eve? God, God sets these, this garden for them to live in. And, and he says, I love you so much that I'm going to put some boundaries in place. Because we all know that boundaries have to be in place in order for love to, be, to succeed. If there's, no, if there's no boundaries, then it's, it's not love. It's called abuse. And so God puts some boundaries in place and says, I don't want you to eat of that one fruit because I love you. And I'm putting some boundaries in place. And they do. And they eat of the fruit, don't they? And what's it say? That their eyes were opened and they hid themselves because they were ashamed. And shame enters the story. It's never meant to be part of the story, yet it enters the story. And it's the point at which we're disconnected from God's plan and God's will. And what we see is the bookends of this story of God, up to the point where Jesus goes to the cross. And so we see that crisis moment where shame enters the story. But then we see in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. And what Jesus is doing in that moment, he's saying shame entered the story at that point there through humanity, and I'm dealing with shame right now. And shame no longer needs to be what we live with. Shame no longer needs to be the defining thing that shapes our life. Because Jesus has done it. So where guilt says I've done something wrong, shame says I am somebody wrong. I am not enough. I could never be enough. And what we end up doing is we live a life that tries to prove before God that I am enough. Uh, Sue and I were speaking about this on Friday, weren't we? We were speaking about shame to each other. Sort of conversations that church people have. And shame, um, I, I don't know if you know, um, there's, a, there's a professor, I don't agree with everything she says by any means, but there's a professor called Brené Brown. Anyone heard of Brené Brown? She's got like Netflix specials and all those kind of things. Um, she, she has done a lot of research into shame. And I love how scripture and social science so often can come together, but she's, she's done years of research in shame. And um, she says that it works its way out in two ways. It works its way out in two ways. We either busy ourselves like a Martha, to prove that we're enough. Just got to prove to everybody that I'm okay, that I am enough for God, I'm enough for the people around me, I am enough and I will, I will do everything and anything and it's all got to be perfect and I've got to prove to everybody and we busy ourselves. So we either become busy or we do like a Paul and we start to show bravado and we refuse to let weakness be seen in us. Paul was condemning all of the people that followed Jesus, wasn't he? Cast them to put them to death. And uh, so it's busyness or bravado. I'm not going to let anybody see that I'm weak. And it's a reaction to shame. It's a reaction to the fact that we're living with the reality that we are not enough. 
And it's a really hard thing to journey through. Because the gospel says, where we want to live with the, I've got to prove I'm enough. And when we do that, we live a life riddled with anxiety, with brokenness. It's all about us. We're at the center of the story. God's not. Focus on ourselves. And what happens is, we just spiral down and down and down. And it's shame. It's shame that we're living with. Jesus says, I've come to deal with the shame because the gospel says, guess what, John? (laughs) You are a failure. (laughs) Guess what, John? (laughs) You're not enough. What? Spent all this time trying to prove that I'm enough. I'm enough for a church. I'm enough for my family. I'm enough for my kids. I try and prove it to everything. I'm enough. And God says, no, you're not. You're not enough. You'll never be enough. Stop trying to be enough because you're not meant to be enough because Jesus is your enough. And that's what Jesus does when he despised the shame of the cross, that thing that could have humiliated, the thing that humiliates us, the thing that could have said to Jesus, there's no way you're enough. Look, you're meant to be the savior. You're meant to be Messiah. And now you're dead in a tomb. Look, you're not enough. He despises its shame, spits on it and says, that's that's not going to happen. I'm going to rule over that, which tries to say that I'm not enough because I will be enough. And therefore, those of us that are in Jesus realize that our life is hidden with Christ on high and he becomes our more than enough. And he deals with the shame. He deals with the shame of us not being enough. And to dump Ian in it, I'm just going to look at him for him to say some wise words. Because <laughs> that's yeah. how tag team preaching works. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the... Um reality is so many of us live in shame but it's not our identity so yeah. shame is attached to um in, in co- actually in the context of this as well as attached to status mm. so uh you know the religious leaders status because i've i've made the grade um i you know uh, fulfilled all these all these rules uh, others the Gentile audience, well, you know, you're not even part of the elect people of God, so therefore, yeah. you're pagans? So it's shame. And that shift from, you know, you referenced the garden really was the point where in, in Genesis 1 and 2, perfect union with God, no shame. Mm. So this rest, this, this yeah. relationship was. Like, I mean, they were, naked, they were naked and there was no shame. Naked and no shame. Yeah. So, like, fully revealed, this is yeah. who I am. On display. No shame. Absolutely. And then rebellion, so the rejection of God, the cornerstone, yeah. <laughs> brings the shame. So we're outside of that. Um, and so I think this whole idea of, of shame is if we, if, if we don't allow the gospel to be the reality of a new identity, then we'll keep, yeah. we'll keep carrying the stuff that actually hinders us. Sorry, I can't get away from the cornerstone, stone bit. Yeah, no, but it's like that Jesus, he, so Peter writes, living stones, a living stone, living stones. Yeah. Being built into this holy temple. So actually, if we don't address the belief system that we have, we'll never address the shame. So, because discipleship, the journey of walking yeah. with Jesus is actually about addressing a belief system of what we believe, not only about ourselves, but fundamentally, can I use that word? Fundamentally about God. <laughs> Foundationally about Found, God. Yeah, foundationally <laughs> about God. So, 
So if we, if for those who believe in him, there will be no shame. Yeah. So what do we believe about God? Is he the cornerstone? Is he the living stone through which we are being crafted and actually are made into living stones in which he's building this glorious temple? So the temple was the, was in the physical was seen to be the dwelling place of God. The place where you encounter God, where you go to meet God. And, uh, but it could never fulfill that which could, Jesus could only really fulfill. Yeah. So, again, this is just, these are, I, you've dropped me in it. But um, this idea of we together now, this moment, not this building, people, us. For every one of us who've put our faith in Jesus, we are living stones. We are a holy people. We are the dwelling place of God. Therefore, our shame is done because it's on Jesus. He covers our shame. Yeah. That's the reality. So it doesn't mean to say that we never have to journey through some stuff because actually the, the, I think the thing about walking with Jesus is that the more you walk with Jesus, the more you realize how far you were from him. But the more you walk with him, you realize the closer you're getting. Not because of effort and striving. It just means that he's transforming. You know, like the onion illustration, you peel it back bit by bit until you get to the core. It's what he does. He's just like layer after layer after layer of stuff that can cause us to live in shame as we, as we can come into that identity of, actually, this is who we are. Look around. Please look around. Take your eyes off us for a moment while I think about what to say next. But look around. Look around. We are the people of God, grafted in, mm. being crafted to be a glorious, glorious temple, the dwelling place of God. Yeah. So that when the world looks at us, when the people who don't yet know Jesus look at us, what do they see? Do they see a people hanging their heads in shame? Or do they see a people who are being crafted and grafted and set in place by the master builder and the one who's the cornerstone. I think that's the call for us. That's why I think Peter's so strong on holiness. Mm. To deal with the shame. Yeah. Because actually it's a, it's a hindrance to us. It's a hindrance to our growth. But it's the reality of the stuff that we all carry, all right? I'm looking out. Nobody's looking. A few are looking at me. But we all carry some shame. Yeah. The reality of life. It is because we all experience stuff that tries to rewrite the narrative of our identity. Every single moment of every day we're experiencing things that are trying to define us. And it competes against God. But with Jesus as the cornerstone, we have to come back to that point where Jesus is the one that shapes our identity. Which is why when we spoke a few weeks ago, we spoke into the, um, you are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. Because that's the identity that we carry. Yeah, so there's some sermons that you can go back and listen to. Uh, you, yeah. you spoke on that. Um, I spoke uh, a few weeks ago, spoke on the gospel. gospel. What is the gospel? What do we believe about who Jesus is and how it changes our lives? So I'd, I'd encourage you to maybe go back over some of those. Um, but I think this, uh, this shame issue is, is, is real. But I'll, can we read those verses? Mm -hmm. I know you wanted to just camp in that verse. But, no, I'm not at all. No, um, I, I'm ready to move on. But um, leave shame leave behind. Leave shame behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, 
But verse, verse 9, I think it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. But you, you are a chosen race. A chosen. Do you believe this morning that you have been chosen? Not getting into the, the theology of the, you know, all of that, but do you believe it? Because actually I think this is a doctrine for the saved. Yeah. It's a doctrine for those who believe in Jesus, the, the, the elect, that sense of we are part of something chosen. God has chosen you. Do you believe it? Please smile at me. <laughs> believe it. This is the reality. We're chosen, a chosen race. A royal priesthood. Now, royalty, they carry themselves differently, don't they? Now, that behind the palace doors, it's a mess. I'm talking about our royalty. But they carry themselves differently. A royal priesthood. I think you said about the priesthood that it's... we. Uh, the, the, the function of, of revealing God to the people and bringing the people to God. It's that movement of people need to see something of the one in whom we serve and we act as a, pre, a priest, a royal priesthood to be able to do that. A holy nation. I missed that one out when I spoke, didn't I? Holy nation. Yeah, I forgot it. Yeah, but it's, it's okay, John. <laughs> I was aware of time and I've been speaking too long and I jumped, missed holy nation but we, out. But um, holy how is it that we, we get holy? Like, what does that look like? Well, I think it starts by being chosen. Actually, chosen and believing this, this Jesus who is the one who holds it all together, who is perfect in, and righteousness and holiness imputed, given. He see, that's what he sees about us. And then out of that, we get to live a holy life. We, we choose holiness. So it's not we're trying to attain holiness. He's, he's given us everything that we need to live a life of God. And as Peter will actually go on to say in, yeah. in 2 Peter chapter 1. Everything that we need to live this life, holy life, he's given it to us and deposited us by his spirit. So he's given us already. We get to live out of this way. We have a choice. So what? maybe you've believed some lies about the way you're living. You think, well, this is just the way that I am. Can I just say to you, that is not who you are. Yeah. It's not who you are. It's a lie. That isn't your destiny. Like you, you, you don't have to be held by the things that you think you can never break free of. It's not true. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, your belief is in him. You're not trying to attain something. You've already received it through faith in Christ. And he has deposited everything you need for a life of Godliness. So therefore, I think we have some power and authority to make some choices about the things that we do. And I think that includes shame. I think that includes our, our mindset. I think it, this, is, this is the reality of who we are. Because he has, he has done it. And so we... We get to live a holy life. We don't have to live a holy life. We get to do this as God's people. Because if we're trying to do it in our own effort, we'll never do it. Um, I hope that's clear. Yeah. Um, and then finally, um, a, a people of his, for his possession. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, we get to proclaim 
And I don't know about you, but when you live in shame, you don't feel like proclaiming anything, do you? No. Like when you, when you live in shame, it's like, I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to look at me. I don't want anybody to hear me because of shame. So if we want to break through the shame, we've got to believe in Jesus. And believing in Jesus enables us to proclaim. It's his doing. He has transferred me and us collectively from darkness to light. Yeah. And that, that's who Sorry, we are. Sorry, I, I, I no, got it's good. a bit of a preach then, didn't I? Can't help it. We're going <laughs> to draw things to a close and um, we're going to take communion together. But I, I, I want communion just to be a response to what God is working in this moment. Uh, not conjuring anything because I don't really know what we're going on about because we're still, you know, we're journeying. We're still, there's no notes. There's nothing planned. There's nothing. We haven't got an agenda. Uh, so if, if, if you sense the Spirit of God is speaking into your life about some stuff, then we get a moment just to sit with him. And you know what I've, uh, I've come to realize more and more and more is that prayer isn't the place where we're good. It's the place where we're honest. It's not the place where we prove that we're good enough for God. I prayed to you today, covering that shame to prove that I'm good enough. It's the place where we get honest with him. And it may be in this moment that there's some stuff that we're holding on to that shapes our identity more than what God says about us. Let me ask this question. I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand, but just internally. Who in this room believes God loves you more when you're good than when you're bad? Think about it. Think about it. Who thinks God loves them more when they're good than when they're bad? John, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession, so you may claim my praises when you're having a good day. When you've been a good boy. No. God's love for you doesn't shift or change depending on how good or bad you are because it's based on Jesus, the cornerstone, and whether you're in him or not. And so as we come and take communion, I want to invite you just... For some, maybe it's just reminding you who Jesus is, what he's done. In that moment as we take communion, what he's done. I'm going to even pray that God may start to show you some areas of your life where you're believing an identity and a narrative that's been that's something you're living in that is not what God says over your life. And if you want someone to pray with you or sit and pray with you, maybe you don't know, maybe this is like, I don't know any of this. I don't, I don't get it all, but God's stirring something and maybe you just want someone to pray with you as we take communion then what I invite you to do is, um, I was going to say come forward, we're not going to do communion like that, are we? Because it's COVID and we just sit where we sit. And So I don't know how we'll do this, but um, someone that's more intelligent than me can suggest how we'll do ministry. I'm looking at Ian. Because you were looking at me. Do you notice whenever he said the word shame, he looked at me. So whenever I hear the word intelligent, I'm going to look at him. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm joking. <laughs> well, Alan is gonna Alan's going to lead us in communion uh, with Naomi, his daughter. So do you want to come and do that now? And then, yeah, let's go and get Naomi. Um, I, th- I think um, sometimes silence is really uncomfortable, isn't it? But sometimes it's a really holy, holy moment. And I think as Alan leads us through, I think before we go into any worship or response time in that respect, I, I think... I think it's really important we just give a moment to listen to what the Holy Spirit might want to say. Mm. Not, not so we can proclaim something over you, but your response to him. Read these words that Peter writes about who we are. 
read them over again. What does he want to say? About the shame issue. You know, there's no better place than in communion to confess that to God, those things that are holding you, and recognize that Christ's victory on the cross paid it. And so I, I would, um, I think, some silence, give some moment, and then we'll, we will sing, and I think we'll get, maybe there's some response. Yeah. Um, just if you want more prayer, maybe a different issue than healing. Um, mm. but, um, that's my thought. Great, love it.